My name is Frederick Noor, and I'm the pastor here at the Kingdom Center. We want to welcome you all to the Vote Truth to Power School Board Candidates um, event. For those that don't know what the Johnson County Interfaith Coalition is, it is a coalition of 20 faith-based organizations and some community organizations working for social and racial justice. So today, our goal is we want to hear from these candidates and to see why we should vote for them. I'm, so we have six school board candidates who have joined us today. They will each give us a brief introductory remarks and then each will respond to two questions. We have a couple of individuals here from various different organizations to my right. So we want you all to check out all of those tables and information that can be shared. We also have interpreters um, who's able to be able to help to interpret some of the things that are being said. And we also believe that the school board candidates are going to stick around immediately after the questioning to be able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with as many people as they can. I do know there's a special event happening downtown that many of us have to get to. So I'm going to introduce Ms. Diana Henry and she'll take over from here. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Uh, the instructions for the timekeeper person is Meg Wagner. She's right over here. And the auditor talk will last about three minutes. And Meg will have warning cards. She have 15 second warning card and she have a stop card. I would first like to introduce Travis Wipert, Johnson County Auditor, to give us an update on current voting regulations. Thank you all. I'm Travis Wipert, Johnson County Auditor. I'll keep my remarks under three minutes so we can get to the most important part. Glad to see so many good candidates running. Um, legislative changes, we could sit here all day long and talk about the voting uh, changes that happen. My big, one of the big things is make sure you register to vote now. Um, if you don't, before 15 days before the election, it'll be more of a hassle when you arrive at the polls. So that's one of the key things. If you're requesting an absentee ballot, now is the time to do it. They've shortened the window at the end of the period. So get out there, get your absentee request forms. And now um, a question I kind of, well, receive a lot is when I request a ballot, do I get the school and city? Yes, you don't. You're, you're getting one ballot. So other than that, we'll be around to answer questions. I know we're going to do another event when they have the city candidates. Um, the big thing is just get out, uh, get people to vote. One of the biggest complaints we have right now, and we can't get ahead of it, but is sign placement. So as candidates, please try to keep them out of the right of way. My email's filling up with complaints, concerns, and we just don't have enough resources and law enforcement's busy. So having said that, if anybody has any questions, stop over, we'll be happy to answer them and good luck to all the candidates. Thank you guys. And before we proceed any further, I wanna mention that we're gonna have a drawing for door prizes. It will be held at the close of the event for a new Pioneer gift card, Hy-Vee gift card and a Black and Decker leaf blower so just to let you know and that's going to start around 11 15 but it may be a little later <laughs> okay so thank you travis now i'd like to introduce 
Ruthenia Malone, who will briefly introduce herself and give comments about her stand on issues critical to the South District voters. You have two minutes. Thank you, Diana, um, and thank you to the Johnson County Interfaith Coalition for organizing this event. Um, I'm very excited to be here. My name is Ruthina Malone. I am seeking a second term on the school board. I hope that um, you have been um, at least happy with um, some of my decisions, even though you may not have agreed with all of them the last four years. But I've tried to take into consideration all of the needs for our students, especially some of our most marginalized students throughout the district. Based on my background, I grew up in Chicago. Um, my mom worked for a little bit, but also relied heavily on public assistance. And I know how hard that was to raise 10 children, um, as well as trying to make sure we had all of our needs met in school. So we did turn to the schools for a lot of those needs. And once I moved here to Iowa City in 1994 and decided to raise my family with my husband Malone, who's also a school teacher in the district, um, I wanted to make sure that students didn't have similar struggles that my siblings and I faced when we were growing up. Some of those struggles included not being seen as talented students that can address some of the same academic challenges that other students could from maybe middle income families. I wanna make sure that our district are addressing those needs for students who maybe don't come from the perfect home life, but they still have the ability to achieve their dreams. Given that, I hope that after this, you'll stop by my table. I can share more of some of my thoughts and some of my hopes for our district as well as the South District. Thank you. Thank you, Ruthenia. Next, I would like to welcome J.P. Clausen to the podium. Thanks, folks. Um, good morning, everybody. I uh, also want to thank um, uh, Interfaith Coalition and League of Women Voters and all the volunteers who've helped put this together. Uh, really appreciate it when, when folks are trying to get the word out on candidates and then, you know, get people out to vote and get people registered to vote. There's, there's really um, not much more important than that. Um, like Ruthina, I'm seeking uh, re-election. I'm asking for another four-year term um, on the school board. Um, and you know, as far as issues go, I really uh, have a hard time narrowing these down to, to any number of minutes because a school board deals with everything, kind of any issue that comes up. You know, school boards really have a very wide purview, and so I really look forward to, to sitting here after this um, and answering any individual questions you might have. Um, like Ruthina, um, I hope folks appreciate what the board has been doing um, because we put a lot of emphasis um, on equity and making sure you know, that, that the great Iowa City schools are truly great for every single student. Because that's not true. It is not currently the case. Some kids fall through the cracks, right? And, and we've been working hard to, to really turn this boat, it's a lot like an aircraft carrier that's just moving all the time. You don't really get breaks on the school board, right? In the summer, you're just getting that train moving. And so to turn that ship, just takes sustained effort. And I guarantee you four years was not enough time to get stuff done. 
you know. And so um, Ruthina and I and the rest of the board have been functioning very well. Um, that's another thing I really want to continue. We emphasized it in 2017 that we wanted a board that functions, that works well together, that can disagree without being disagreeable, because that frees your staff up to get the work done. Because we oversee the staff, but it's really the staff that does the nuts and bolts work. And, and we need to trust them, and they need to be able to trust the board. And I'm asking you to, to place that trust in me for another four years. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next we have Maka Pilcher-Hayek. We'll introduce herself. Hi, I'm Maka, and I am not an incumbent, so I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I have three kids in the district in elementary, junior high, and high school. I grew up in Cedar Rapids. I was raised by a mom who taught us to speak truth to power. That was um, her thing for a white family in a mostly white state. She taught us to be anti-racist, feminist, and pro-LGBTQ, which for my generation is not as common as it should have been. After college, I moved to Mobile, Alabama to teach high school. For the two years I lived in Alabama, I witnessed Deep South racism. I call it Deep South racism because racism takes on different forms depending on where you are in the country. What I witnessed in the classroom and in the city of Mobile intensified my commitment to social justice. So after two years in Alabama, I moved back up here and I went to law school. And when I was in law school, instead of clerking at a big firm, I worked with migrant farm workers in Michigan. Uh, because I speak Spanish. So my job was to visit the farms and make sure that the farm workers knew their rights. They are typically abused and exploited and threatened with deportation. So again, I witnessed racism, but in a different form. Social justice is only possible when we have a well-informed public. I've spent the last 10 years when I'm not parenting or lawyering advocating for public education. The focus of my advocacy, as hopefully some of you already know, has been to make sure that every student has the same access to the same quality of facilities, similar to what Ruthina and JP were just describing. The South District sends its students to Longfellow, Twain, Wood, Alexander, and New Hoover. <clears throat> if you add the junior high and high school, you're invested in seven different schools in the district. You need a school board that pays attention to all those schools. <clears throat> I'm running for school board. I got 10 seconds to continue my advocacy for all of our children. And if you want to talk about any of these issues, I would love to hear questions and concerns. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next, we have Krista Burris. She will introduce herself. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Krista Burris. I'm running for school board because I wanna ensure that each and every student has equal access to a high quality education. I live in Iowa City and I have two boys in the district, so I have a personal interest in the success of our schools. But more globally, I know how important it is for a high quality education for each and every single one of our children for opening doors for successful and rewarding adult lives. My training as an educational researcher will bring a unique and important skill set to the board. My job, every day I look at data. I look at the relationship between academic opportunities, academic achievement, student characteristics, and how that plays a role in future success, whether you go to college, whether you earn a degree, whether you get a job. And so I want to bring what I've learned in my career to locally to the school board. My top three priorities are student achievement, 
equity, and the whole child. For student achievement, I will advocate for resources for improved learner outcomes. I think every child should be college and career ready, starting in kindergarten through, college, through high school graduation. For equity, I want to build on the diversity, equity, and inclusion plan. I want to focus on closing achievement gaps, closing opportunity gaps, and increasing the diversity of our school personnel to reflect our community. And for whole child, I want to talk about social-emotional learning. I want to talk about education and career navigation so that our kids aren't just academically prepared, that they're well-rounded, life-ready individuals when they leave. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. Next, I'd like to welcome Jane Finch. Good morning, um, and thank you to Diana and Susan and Pastor Newell and the Interfaith Coalition for hosting this today. My name is uh, Jane Finch. I live in Coralville. I have two sons in the district. They go to West High School. My husband is a naturalized citizen, originally from Palestine, and the both of us have lived in the area for about 30 years. I graduated with my undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of Iowa, and I've worked for the last 26 years as a physician assistant, most of that time in the field of oncology. It's that experience of working with veterans with cancer and at end of life that's given me a perspective on, on, on how early life trauma influences our health, both mental and physical, um, how it influences our life trajectory, our interpersonal relationships, our, um, our successes, and ultimately our happiness. It was after a particularly traumatic uh, incident at my son's junior high school that um, it, it came to my notice that the way that the school district approached discipline um, was not at all trauma-informed. It focused more on punitive rather than growth-minded. And I decided I wanted to change that. So I joined the school district's equity committee four years ago with that goal in mind. I became a restorative justice facilitator. Um, I served on the school improvement advisory committee and I was on the development team for the care assessment program. Through those experiences, I encountered many other people with the same goals as me. We've advocated uh, to change the way the school district does discipline, and this summer they came out with a 189-page document on rethinking school discipline, which incorporates many of the things that we um, have been advocating for. Uh, that's one of the things that I that I am um, working towards, but that is my passion. I look forward to talking to more of you about some of the ideas that I have for our school district. Thank you so much. Thank you. And next we have Sheila Pinter. Hi, my name is Sheila Pinter, and thank you to our volunteers and to the Interfaith Coalition for having us all here. I first came to the University of Iowa as a student a uh, long time ago, and it was then that my husband and I decided that we wanted to retire here in Iowa City after a long career in the military. My family and I got to Iowa City in 2018, and my two youngest children enrolled at West High School. So what we've realized in the nine districts that we've been exposed to, six, six districts that my children have been to out of the four children, that there are so many lessons that we can learn and so many models that we can lift and shift into the Iowa City Community School District. What I'm most interested in is mental health. 
I recognize that there are mental health concerns prior to the pandemic. The pandemic has only amplified these mental health concerns. For the South District, what I'm most interested in is accessibility. I think that's one of the pieces that the DEI is missing. If you look at the Biden-Harris administration's 14035, which I work on as a federal, federal employee, accessibility is one of the key features of that executive order. And what I talk about accessibility, it's not just the physical barriers, it's the attitudinal barriers. And I believe that's one of the things that we can really focus on and improve in our community. Thank you. The Johnson County Interfaith Coalition has now has two questions we would like each candidate to answer. And please keep your responses to one minute. I'm gonna go, when I, I'm gonna ask the question and I want you to just come to the podium going down this row in order, and you go this way in order. So the first question. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How could the Iowa City School Board ensure the health and safety of its students and staff from aggression, harassment, and COVID, as well as providing supportive programs and staff for mental health issues? Thank you. That's that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I would like to think that um, as a school board, we have tried to lead toward that model in the work that we've done, especially over the last four years. Um, we've set up programs for our staff to get m mental health services as they need it because we've recognized some serious issues, not just um, during the pandemic, but also before the pandemic. We're working with our student family advocates to ensure that those same services are shared with our families so families and students can have access as well. And I think it's very important as a community that we have these conversations to understand some of the stress and strain that we face as a, as a school district because school issues are community issues. And in order for us to address them all, we have to have community buy-in from day one so services can be provided. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Um, so yeah, a minute. That, that's a big, you know, get these huge questions and, and boil it down to a minute, right? Um, so I work in mental health. I work on the inpatient child psychiatric unit at the University of Iowa um, for the past um, seven years. And so I'm very familiar with the mental health struggles, um, not just in our community, but, but around the state. Um, and, and it's bad, and, and, and she was right, COVID's made it worse, um, but it was bad before. And so, to be honest, um, on these issues, I get excited about some of the stuff our staff comes up with. So real quick, I'll tell you about a program at City High called The Nest, okay? And this is a room um, at City High for students who are struggling with mental health problems. And this was really um, born out of a reaction to a big problem. I would like, as a board, to continue to be more proactive, right? To find these good solutions and be able to replicate those across the district and, and do it in a sustainable way and do it very well. So. That's my 60 seconds. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to talk fast, but here's what I'm thinking. So in the years before COVID, we had a very divisive administration, and I think all of us are still dealing with all the stress of that. A lot of 
a lot of bad got lifted and was allowed, okay? So I think that's been really hard on all of us in our community. And so then you add COVID to it, and it's, I, it's very difficult to stay positive right now. So we also have to remember we got 14,000 kids going to school in this district. We're their safe place. So that's how important it is that we provide the kind of supports that Ruthina and JP just explained. That NEST program, something like that needs to be at every single one of our schools. This is where people go for consistency. So that means we have to do our best to give them the kind of supports they need. It's that, as we just talked about, the social emotional learning supports. And I'm happy to see that we have a curriculum now in our district that's going to be encouraging that. So that's my short answer to a very big question. Um, I, I think I agree wholeheartedly with Ruthina, JP, and Maka. Um, mental, um, mental issues, anxiety um, are very um, top of mind, and it's just gotten worse with COVID, and I think um, we need to devote resources and attention to this. Uh, I mentioned social-emotional learning before. I think it's really critical. Um, we need to be teaching those skills in our students about um, respect and trust and collaboration um, to prevent bullying and discrimination and um, microaggressions, all of these negative things that shouldn't be in our classroom so that we can have a healthy classroom and focus on what matters is student learning. And so I really am um, proud of the board for what they did um, with the uh, Diversity Equity Committee with the um, revisions to our disciplinary protocols and I think it's getting better and look forward to continuing that work. Thank you. Yes, that's a big question to answer in one minute. Um, I echo everything that has already been said. The, the nest room at City High, I, um, I've already said that's something that I would like to see replicated in the rest of the district. A part of this whole restorative approach is creating, um, uh, improving the climate and culture of the school district so that it's welcoming for all and improving upon the relationships. So restorative is really more of a proactive um, rather than a reactive uh, approach. So, um, you know, in education, I think it's all about the relationships and the relationship between the teacher and the student and, and doing what we can to um, encourage and nurture that relationship. Um, the, the, one, the social emotional learning um, changes that we're doing to the curriculum are, are very important and um, it, it's all about the relationship. I had something else I, I can't remember it now. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Resiliency, teaching resiliency. Hi, Sheila Pintor. So I talked earlier about accessibility, and again, I think this, this resounds overwhelmingly with the mental health. We've actually had, uh, supposedly, purportedly, mental health parity in our healthcare system since 2008. We know that's not necessarily true. So focusing on efforts like we've seen in the ICCSD community with the NEST program, but also getting out there and understanding Pastor, you may have heard of the 100 congregations or the, the barbershops, getting into the barbershops, getting to where our people are at and recognizing that they have a voice, meeting everybody where they are at and see where we can move and improve those accessibility efforts. Thanks. Thank you. The second question is, how can our school district address long-standing disparities in employment and curriculum 
through policies, teacher in-service, and curriculum guidelines addressing such areas as class, race, ethnicity, religion, and gender. All right, can you repeat that one more time? I can do it again. Yes, I'll do that. How can our school district address long-standing disparities in employment and curriculum through policies, teacher in-service, and curriculum guidelines addressing such areas as class, race, ethnicity, religion, and gender? Sorry. Okay, I'll do my best in a minute that I have. Um, I think that goes back to the school board. Our school district is as only as strong as our school board who sets the policy that our administration then is tasked with implementing. And one of the ways that the school board can address some of that is setting policies that address some of the inequities that we see in employment. Our current school board has done that with talking with our human resources, explaining that we want our children and our teachers to be able to work with people that's within their community. We've started that with a fellowship program that's addressed some of those needs and bringing in people that necessarily may not get that opportunity. But we also need to continually looking at our curriculum and the opportunities that's being offered to our students as well as our teachers and making those changes from the board's perspective to allow the administration to implement those policies. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and again, a big question, and, and, and frankly, the board is doing a lot on this, um, and there's a lot of detail to it, and I'd love to get into that later in the back, but Ruthina's right, it really starts at the top, and you have to set a tone. And, and I believe, especially in this day and age, but it's been a long time coming, it's got to be a bold tone. I think you have to empower your staff to be bold because we're not going to change these things or steer this big ship with timid working around the edges. We've got to be bold and we've got to be strong. You know, I think one of the most important things we need to do is, and research bears this out, as I think does common sense, is we want to get teachers in front of our kids who look like our kids. There's really nothing more powerful you can do. And that's a huge lift in Iowa. Just sheer numbers. The number of, of teacher candidates of color is very, very small. But we need to find those folks. And what we're doing in the district, because there aren't a lot of folks out there, we're working to grow our own. You know, finding those people in our system that we can move up through the system, like with the fellow program that Ruthina mentioned. Um, and talk to more at the back. Thanks. So she asked about long-standing disparities, and I'm just going to focus on uh, race and how that um, impacts long-standing disparities, and I got 45 seconds, but here's the deal. This is, this is where we've been, right? And to eliminate long-standing disparities involving race, we need to do this. Okay, in America, we need to go from here to here. So that means we have to teach systemic racism. We have to have everyone understand what that means and they have to understand how it informs every aspect of their community 
every aspect of their education, and it has to be taught every day. And the recent legislation doesn't stop us from doing that. Don't listen to any message that tells you otherwise, and the school board has handled that very well. They had training on that. We have to make sure people understand the truth of our history that defines us so that we can figure out how to redefine our future. This is a, the critical question. We've talked about achievement gaps um, today um, numerous times, and it's really important. I think what I would stress is we really need to interrogate the data. We need to look at that data. And the, the unfortunate truth is we see big differences right now within our district. Uh, one in four uh, students aren't graduating high school proficient in reading, but when you look at it by race and ethnicity, it goes up to 50% for black students. That's unacceptable. With finite resources, we need to be allocating funds that actually improve learner outcomes so that we can shrink those gaps. And it's just, it's not just academics. Um, it's helping with that transition. Um, students who have parents that went to college, they know how to do that transition. So having services to support the college going process, to support um, FAFSA application to help them when they might not have those resources in the home is critical. I think the first step um, that we need to do is to improve the climate and culture so that kids want to come to school um, so that they want to be in class and, and pay attention and do the work. Um, we need to avoid the office referrals. Um, we need to um, make sure that we are not suspending kids and keeping them out of class. If they're not in class, they can't be learning. And so that's why I think the first step is uh, changing the discipline and changing the climate and culture. As far as the hiring, um, we have a plan. It's called the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Plan. And number four on that plan is hiring um, uh, more, uh, more teachers and administrators of color. And so I think the first step we need to do is we need to follow it. Um, and when the administration hires someone who, is, um, who, who has an opportunity to hire someone who is a person of color and, and they do not, I think we need to be um, we need to be critical of that and not rubber stamp it. Hi, Sheila Pinter. So I've worked in HR and I currently work at the Office of Personnel Management, which is the government agency that uh, essentially provides policy legislation and guidance to all of our federal agencies with regard to workplace. This is a huge issue. And what I would like to do is work more closely with the union and making sure that they are representing the voice of the teachers and getting their ideas to the table. Do they have the benefits that they need to be an attractive workforce? Are we providing the culture that makes them want to stay? Looking at the mental health index, monthly index that started about a year ago, we have a crisis at the post-secondary level, which are our future teachers. If we don't look at that and decide how can we reach those and essentially offer a vision for them to come into teaching, our workforce is going to be in trouble. So I like that holistic and working with that union approach. Thanks. Thanks for attending our voter engagement candidate event. Please visit the candidates individually and visit the various information tables. The drawing for our door prizes will be at 1115. So if you didn't 
sign up for the door prize at the raffle, please do so. The table's down that way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.